right, as I told you guys last night, my name is Dorothy Romberg. I was so grateful when Claire just prayed and she says, you know, kind of the, the things that are in our hearts, even if we don't sometimes want to admit it. And I thought, oh, that's a good little segue, Claire. I wonder if God put that in your heart to say. Because I might be asking you to look into some of those things that we don't want to admit as we go on today. But we won't start there. All right, so we're here at Hume Lake. Again, my first time. Many of you seem like you've come multiple times. Um, and uh, this, this is like a happening place. Like we, We're like, wow, there's a lot of things to do. They have a really good setup here. So we're planning on coming back. Um, again, my name is Dorothy Romberg. I have been married to my husband, Randy, for 35 years. We have four children that are all married, two grandkids, and one that's on the way. Um, I was not raised as a believer. My husband was. When I, I accepted Jesus when I was in high school, um, but never really grew in it. Met my husband in college and then started going to church faithfully like when we got married. Uh, was in a Sunday school class, and um, in the Sunday school class, they read out of, I actually think it may have been First John, like to show your obedience, you have to obey God's commands. And I was like, well, if... I have to like show my love to God by obeying his commands. I better figure out what they are because not being raised in the church, I hadn't. So I found the Bible study and I just started studying the word and I always was gravitated towards studies that went verse by verse through the Bible. And so over the years, I've gone through a lot of books of the Bible and I love it. Let's go to the next slide. I want to introduce my family just real quick. So my husband and I in the back, in the middle there, my two girls on either side of us with their husbands outside them, um, and then my two boys in front of us with their wives on the other side of them. My oldest granddaughter there, this is uh, taken about a year ago. It's the last time we were probably all together because of all this uh, craziness going on in our world right now. Um, since then, uh, that's Mila. She's three. She just turned three. Since then, next slide, please. We have Morgan, who is four months old. So, and then, like I said, my son actually just told us just the other day that we are going to be having another baby. Not in January. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, next slide, please. So, probably maybe a year or two into my walk with, like when I really got serious about my walk with Jesus was the first time that I realized that actually God was speaking to me. And here's how it occurred. I'd put our kids to bed and I, we had a pool that I could, it was like a big pool so I could swim laps in it. And so I went out to go swim laps and my husband was watching TV. Well, I left our sliding glass door ajar a bit so that if I needed him, he could hear me and he could come help me. And that's how I always, like, when my kids were outside swimming, like, I always kept it open so that I could hear what was going on. Well, as I was swimming, we were in this, like, discipleship program. It talked about praising God. So I'm swimming, and I'm going, praise God, backstroke, creator of the universe, creator of me. And all of a sudden, my husband shut the sliding glass door. And he shut it because I was making too much noise. Well, I panicked. I'm like, what if I need something? He can't hear me. And here's what I thought was wisdom. I always operated like, gotta be wise. I'm gonna swim near the edge so if something happens, like if I get a cramp or something, I can reach for the side and, and, and I'd be safe. 
I've never gotten a cramp, but just in case, I was going to be ready. Then I started swimming some more, a few more strokes, and I remembered this story that this girlfriend of mine told me about she was outside, she had a detached garage, she was doing her laundry in her garage, and all of a sudden a man jumped over the fence and ran through her backyard. Now I would have stayed in the garage and hid. She came out and said, hey, what are you doing? Another man jumps over. He says he's the police and he's chasing this guy. And I, so I start thinking, what if someone jumps over the fence into my house? And I was like, okay, stroke, stroke, stroke. If they come from over there and I'm here, I'll do this. Stroke, stroke, stroke. But now if they come from over there and I'm here, I'm going to do this. Do you see how I went from praising God, who's the king of the universe, who created everything, to worrying about my little world? And here's what God said to me in my spirit. And I think it was that contrast. He said, you can't even trust me to take care of you in your own backyard. It really crushed my heart when he said that. I swam over to the shallow end, sat on the steps, and just kind of started to weep and, was, and actually started confessing, not really knowing I was doing a biblical mandate. It just felt natural, like that was what I was supposed to do. I am so sorry, God, da-da-da, I went on. Fast forward three weeks later, my husband and I were going on a trip. We're, getting to go, uh, we're going on an airplane. We're walking down the ramp to the airplane, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I never considered what would happen if we both should die here. I did not go through the process of how do I take care of my kids, who's going to do the, like, and I realized, oh, there's something that has lifted off of me. That would have consumed me. I grabbed my husband's arm and I'm like, what else do I need to confess so that I can be free? And that was when I started my journey realizing that it's actually, that's what God wants us to do when we're not living according to what he wants us to do. And again, I'm going to say, I thought all that stuff was wisdom. Do you see how it was hidden in my heart? The things that Claire just prayed, that the things that are hidden in our heart, I, that was hidden under the topic of wisdom for me. And God had to show me, you know what, there might be some wisdom here, but actually, you're not trusting me. So, going on from there now, let me get back to my notes here so I remember where I'm at. <laughs> so now, we look at our world right now, and it is filled with chaos. People are feel fearful everywhere. There's uncertainty I don't know if you guys, but I have people that tell me all the time, they'll say, oh, I heard this on the news, if it's true, like no one knows is the news true. I have other people that say, I have completely quit listening to the news because it's just so crazy. And I hear all kinds of stories of division. In my own family, there's been some like ruffling because of different people have different thoughts because of all, these, all this different information that's coming from every which way. There's blaming going, there's hating going, and there's a lot of people that are wondering, are we in end times? Well, we at least feels like it's close because it is the whole world. It's not just a portion of the world, it's the whole world that's wrapped up in all of this, right? What I re realized, I studied Revelation several years ago, and what was kind of my walk away thought from the whole thing, which I still didn't understand, Okay, but the walkaway thought was actually all this stuff that's like this destruction and everything that's going to be coming in end times 
was actually God's love for his people. He was trying to draw them back unto himself. So whether we're in end times or whether we're approaching end times, all the chaos of the world is really to strip everything away so that we focus our eyes back on him. So let's look at a passage that talks a little bit. Oops, uh, closed my notes. Let's talk, look at a passage, next slide, that talks a little bit about end times from Matthew. It says, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And by the way, we're from Southern California and we got all kinds of messages last night. There was an earthquake. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. It's the beginning of birth pains. Well, birth is very painful, but you get something beautiful when you're done. Going on, next slide. It says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, oh, and, then, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, listen to this part, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Let me read that again. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold. Because as wickedness continues to increase, we will feel like we can't show our love. But that's not what God wants us to do. Look at the next part, the last part that's underlined. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So he wants us to maintain this love that he has placed in us for others throughout all this. Next slide, please. So the title of this session is Don't Live Lies. And the description says, amid the chaos of the world in which we find ourselves today, God and his word are the only anchors for our souls. Come and see what 1, 2, and 3 John say regarding how to discern the spirit of the Antichrist living as children of light, and loving one another, thus creating a unity of the body in Christ. Next slide, please. So an overview of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I kind of told you guys last night. So this is John. This is John that was with Jesus, the apostle that walked with Jesus for the three years that he uh, did all the ministry on the earth. He wrote the Gospel of John um, probably uh, maybe... 30 years after Jesus had passed, okay? Now he's up in Ephesus, which is kind of modern-day Turkey, when he's writing these, these letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's a church that was started there in Ephesus. That's the book of Ephesians. That's a letter written to that church that started in Ephesus. And John is there, and that's when he's saying, there are deceivers that are coming up amongst you. And I told you this last night, they're called these Gnostics, and what, it starts with a G-G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. And uh, they were causing a divide in the body because they were saying there's no way that God the Spirit came into Jesus into the flesh because the spiritual world and the material world don't, don't, will not, the, the spiritual world is perfect and holy, the material world is sinful, and those two things would never collide. And henceforth, there's no spirit inside of you because the spiritual world would not go into you. So you can go ahead and worship God from afar, but do whatever you want with your body. But that's not what Jesus told us. Jesus told us that he was leaving and he was gonna be sending the comforter and that he would dwell within us. 
So what we're going to do today is we're going to go over a few of the scriptures from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then I'm going to kind of tell you a couple more stories to kind of tie it all together. All right? So you guys are ready to go through some of these? Next slide, please. The overall theme, I would say, is the unity of the body. The overall theme of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is unity of the body. How do we stay unified? Next slide, please. Here are the topics that we're going to look at. I just picked a few verses out of it. So the first verse is going to deal with um, the testimony about Jesus and who he is. The second one is admitting we are not sinless and confessing sin. The third topic is, uh, and these are just verses that we're going to look at, and then again, I'm going to tell you a couple stories to tie it all together. Uh, The third topic is recognizing the deception of the world. And the fourth one is know whose we are and the great lengths he went to to rescue us. Next slide, please. So the first verse I want us, or a a set of verses that I want us to look at is 1 John 1, 1 to 4, and this talks about this testimony of Jesus. So this is how he starts, John starts his um, epistle. Epistle is a letter that he wrote. This is a letter he wrote to the churches. And it says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim the word of life. So he's saying, listen guys, I'm an eyewitness. I saw this, I touched this. This is so real to me. I'm not giving you secondhand knowledge. This is firsthand knowledge. Going on, the life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and appeared to us. So he's saying this life that was from the beginning, so he's going back to the beginning, this that, that came among us, that was that, uh, the word that became flesh, that was from the beginning. He was with God at the beginning, and he represents eternal life that will go on forever. And I'm proclaiming that this is true, and we saw it. Going on, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And here's why they write it. Look at why they write it. We write this to make your joy complete. Because if we can get a hold of this and we can believe this in our hearts, what happens is that it actually makes our joy complete. Next slide, please. Another verse from 1 John 1.8, admitting our sins. So it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in this. And it goes on, if you look at the next, next slide, please. 1 John 1.9, the very next verse says, and it has to do with confessing our sins, and it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that story I told you earlier and one I'm going to tell you in just a little bit, that's what he did. When I confessed it, he cleansed me of it. Okay, next slide, please. My husband and I uh, got trained in a ministry called Peacemakers Ministry. And in Peacemakers Ministries, there's um, one of the um, ways to uh, achieve peace, I'll say, is to give a good confession, to really acknowledge what you've done, because that can help bring peace. So they have these seven A's of forgiveness. So here are the A's, just real quickly. It says, address everyone involved, so all those whom you affected. So sometimes when you're fighting with somebody, 
Like, it affects your kids. It affects your in-laws. It affects your neighbor. You know what I mean? It affects other people. So you're going to, once you guys get it settled, you're going to go and say, you know what? We did this. We're sorry. We apologize to each other. And we're sorry that we put you through it too. Two, avoid if, but, and maybe. Don't try to excuse your wrongs. So admitting uh, without saying, well, you know, I know I did this, but you did this first. Therefore, do you see how that negates what you just said, your apology? You're avoiding saying, using those words. Admit specifically, and that's in action and in um, attitude. So you specifically say, you know, I was really harsh on you when I said that, and the way that harshness came out is my words were harsh, and um, I said cruel things to you. You just say it very specifically, because if the person knows that you've recognized what you've done, they feel safer around you in that you would not do it again, because now you actually recognize what you did. Acknowledge the hurt. Because I did that to you, because I spoke so harshly to you, I devalued you. I did not um, esteem who you are as a child of God. Just however you have hurt them, you acknowledge that. I made you feel like you were worthless. Whatever it is that you made them feel, you acknowledge that hurt. That's probably one of the most key ones. Accept the consequences. Um, such as make restitution. So if you have to like, you know, pay back or you broke something or however the restitution looks like. But sometimes the consequences are there's a little bit of distance in the relationship. It's forgiven, but it doesn't go back to what it looked like before. So you have to accept that consequence. Alter your behavior. Change your attitudes and actions. That one's obvious. Here's the hardest one for people to do. Ask for forgiveness. You have to say, will you forgive me? You know why I think it's the hardest? My husband and I, who are trained to this, we go through these steps, we both forget that last step. Like I'll say, do you want to ask for forgiveness? <laughs> and he has to do the same to me. You know why I think that's the hardest one to remember? Because I think if you have to ask for forgiveness, you're actually really admitting you're guilty because you need forgiveness. The reason my husband and I went through this training is we were at a church that we just saw kind of conflict kind of happen over and over again, and then like pastors would leave, the new ones would come, and pastors would leave, and it just grieved my heart, so I tried to speak to it, didn't go well. We got trained in it, tried to speak to it, got, didn't go well, um, until finally I, had to, I was like, I can't stay here. Like, here's a beautiful family coming in, and as soon as they walk through that door, I'm like, in two to three years, you're going to be on your way out the door completely brokenhearted, and I know that right now, and I'm just living a lie. I had to leave. And so that is so ingrained in me, this peacemaking. I'm going to tell you a story. I fell. Okay, next slide, please. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Recognize the deception of the world. The verse says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, did you hear that? Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of, uh, of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. 
The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So everything is of the world actually kind of rails against who God is. And we're going to look at some things in just a little bit. All right, the last one that I want to look at before we go into the stories. Uh, next slide, please. 1 John 3, 1. Knows who, know who we are, whose we are, and the great lengths he went to rescue us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The ability to do everything that I said prior to this, I think hinges on this verse, knowing whose we are. To have God tell me, you can't trust me in your own backyard, the only reason I could accept that without being defensive and trying to you know, cast blame somewhere else was knowing that actually he was saying that to me in love. So it starts with knowing and believing all that Jesus had done for us so that we can become his children. All right, so now I'm going to tell a couple stories. The first story has to do with recognizing deception. So next slide, please. All right, so this summer at my church, I, had, I took a class. It was culture and Christianity. And they put up this slide, and it wasn't this one, but they put up a picture of an image of a model on some kind of magazine, and they told us, look at it and look, and look at it and then decide what is true about what you're seeing, what is not true about what you're seeing, and what can be redeemed. And not in this one, not in the one that I chose. I couldn't find the one that they had. They had like eat pizza and lose weight. So some people were like, oh, you can't eat pizza and lose weight. And it's like, okay. I think the main thought that we came away from this was that here's the truth that they're trying to portray is if you could be totally fit and healthy and look like this and have all that, that you've achieved it and that's where happiness is. And there's truth to that. It's good to take care of yourself. It's good to work out. But if that's your highest value and your highest hope in life, it's not enough. It will never satisfy you. Do you see how it's truth, but it also deceives as well? And you know what hit me while I was doing this, um, stu uh, this study? And I was kind of embarrassed that I never thought of it before. I thought, well, the people that don't know Jesus, like, this is their highest hope. This is all they have, and it's never going to be enough. And for those of us that do know Jesus, this is always railing against what we know is true about Jesus. So then they asked us to do our own cultural artifacts. So next slide, please. I'm not sure you guys will be able to see this, but this was my homework assignment. <laughs> I picked a, a song by Taylor Swift, because I have always told my girls when they used to listen to Taylor Swift, like, her songs are so full of revenge. Like, she's always, like, kind of out to get somebody. But at the same time, it'd make me kind of smirk. If I would listen to the lyrics, it would make me kind of smirk. And so I thought, I'm going to do that because I think that's kind of a message that we kind of get like often is this like get back, revenge. So I'm just going to read. I know you can't see it, but I'm, it's, it's called Picture to Burn is the name of the song. It starts out saying, state the obvious. I didn't get my perfect fantasy. I realized you love yourself more than you could ever love me. So go ahead and tell your friends that I'm obsessive and crazy. That's fine. I'm telling mine, you're gay, by the way. See, smirk, I know, it's funny. Then she says, 
And I hate that stupid old pickup truck. You never let me drive. You're a redneck heartbreak who's really, who's really bad at lying. She goes on a little later to say, I'm planning my revenge. And if you come around saying sorry to me, my daddy's going to show you just how sorry you will be. Does that sound like what God wants us to do, how God wants us to treat others? So what we had to do was look up scriptures that kind of talk against that. We're like, how could you be redeemed like this? Like, how could we, if we, like, they want us to kind of get used to, if we meet people that are saying these things, like, what are scriptures that we could kind of say, like, you know what, here's maybe a better way you might consider. So Proverbs 1, these are just a couple of the scriptures that I looked up. Proverbs 15.1, the gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 18, uh, 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And Romans 12, 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. So what God, so we really have to be in the word and have the word telling us, and I, like, who we are and how we interact with the world because the world is always going against that. Uh, next slide, please. And so what I've noticed is that it feels like there's all this division in the world. I mean, it's just been building for years. It feels like race by race, by gender, by age, by socioeconomic status. It just feels like it's just been constantly kind of dividing. Um, as years ago, my family, my parents are from the former Yugoslavia. And um, so there was a war there. World War I was fought there. World War II was fought there. And then they had their own war for independence. There was five provinces. They all split apart, and they all wanted to become independent. They are now. Um, and Bosnia, one of the provinces, had three different um, ethnic groups in it, Muslim, uh, Roman Catholic, and um, Serbian Orthodox. And those people started warring with each other, trying to get, like, uh, uh, like be in power there. My aunt, who lived there and had to leave her apartment because the war was there and go to a refugee camp, when she came back, she was putting her, back, uh, her apartment back together. We went and we saw her afterwards. And she tells us, she says, you know, we as the people, we all got along. We didn't care. We all got along with each other. It was these leaders that kept bringing in all of this. And then I thought, then years later, so years ago, my, my husband and I were up in Seattle. We had kids that lived up there, and we were just walking around. We walked by the Amazon um, headquarters, and there's this uh, sign on their door. It's like, we accept this group of people, and this group of people, and this group of people. And I'm like, how is that any different from the business across the street? We all want everyone to be treated fairly. We want to be, you know, treated with dignity. Like, it feels like this stuff's being trying to, trying to be, like, cause division for division's sake. And now here we hit with COVID. And now that's really dividing because we're talking about personal health. And pe some people think one way, some people think another way. And so here's my next story. And it's going to talk about how God showed me that I needed to confess my own sin. Um, but first, I needed to understand his love for me. So I, I am, like I told you, the teaching director for a Bible study, uh, CBS, uh, Community Bible Study. It's in Los Alamitos, California, Southern California. And me and my team, there are seven of us, we're preparing to start the year. Um, we have like about 250 women that come to our, our Bible study. So we're preparing to bring in 250 women. 
and we have big differences of opinion as to how we interact with each other because of COVID. Do we hug? Do we not hug? Do we make a rule not to hug? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear masks? Who wears masks? Vaccinated? Unvaccinated? I mean, it was kind of crazy. It was like months of kind of buildup, and we kind of found a place where it was kind of middle ground, and we all were like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I was kind of on one side with a group of people, and there was another lady on another side with a smaller group of people if you really wanted to know kind of how it was all divided. <laughs> and so we did our training, and following the rules that we had set up, that we had all agreed on, and it was a long, all day, we, we were training the leaders prior to when, the, uh, when we were starting our, um, our study for the year. We were there from like 8.30 till 2, and we come in, the, the seven leaders, after it was all done at 2, and I feel like a bomb just went off. One lady just said this was a fail because this happened, this happened, like two, like three little minuscule little things in that whole day. And I was like, this is too much. I can't do all this. Like, this is just, it's too much. And I, we're just going to have to do this. And like, you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do because we cannot, like, I can't be managing all these people to try to meet your expectation, right? 31 people were there, two people you know, had their mask below, below, the, below their nose. I'm like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to police all this. I can't do it. Then my team was like, what? Like, you have to, like, we have to keep her there. And I walked out there like this lonely leader, like, oh, how do I handle this? We went to the people that are above us, talked through some things, and uh, it was hard. It was hard. And I was getting more and more frustrated with this person and then her and I had a conversation, just the two of us, and um, my frustration came through. And she was crushed. And uh, so then she's like, well, then I guess I just shouldn't be here. And I was like, well, you know, you decide. I'm not telling you you have to leave, but you decide. And I called on my team, told them what happened. They all understood, because they've been watching this whole thing build up, right? So then... One of my ladies said, we have to re reconcile you guys. And I said, well, I sent her a text. I sent her an email and said, can we talk? I don't like how this ended. And she said, she doesn't feel like she can talk to me. She's too sad. All she can do is cry. So we said, you call. So we're going to follow the Matthew principle. You go and talk individually, just the two of you, which the two of us went. It did not go well. So I said to her, I said, you call. And so then the Matthew says, bring someone else along. So I said, you call and see if you can set something up so we can talk. So she called, set something up, we talked. Didn't go great, but it got to a pretty good place. I said I was sorry for some things. She said she was sorry for some things. We said, okay, we're going to put this behind us. We're going to move forward. We're kind of moving forward. And that night, I went to church. They had a praise and worship service. Next slide, slide please. And I was praying. When I worship, like when I'm going through stuff, I kind of take that on my heart, and I'm like holding it before God, and I'm like going, Lord, help me. Like, like Lord, like I did what, I followed your word. Please show your favor on, my, on this ministry. And um, this song came up, and it, it says, it's a song title is So Will I, and it says, you chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride on a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. 
Whenever we sing that song, you chase down my heart through all my failures and pride, I always think of like people that have left the faith and I'm like, he's gonna chase them down and he's gonna bring them back. That night, I was the center of it. God was like, I chased you down through all your failures and all your pride. And I was like, wow. On the hill that was created, I died and, uh, for you. I was abandoned in the darkness for you. I was like, wow. I left out and I was like, God really loves me. Went back the following Sunday. Another song, next slide. Same theme, reckless love. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And God was like, you, I chased you down. Not someone else, you, me. I walked out of there, I told my friend, like God is like speaking to me, he wants me, I'm like tears are in my eyes. I leave the conversation with my friend, I walk a few steps and all of a sudden, you tried to kick her out. He's telling me what that harshness was that I spoke over my friend. I was actually trying to kick her out. And then he showed me what I had done and how I crushed her. But do you hear how he wanted me to know he loved me first before he told me the truth of what I did? That's what he wants us to know, that he loves us. But there's something hidden in our heart that we're not seeing, that God's saying, you know what? If you knew this truth, it would actually set you free. And he tells us in Romans, he says, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's what he had done for me. And so now, next slide, I called my friend. And uh, actually, we saw each other. We had another meeting. And in the meeting, I just, I went through those seven A's, admitting specifically, acknowledging um, everyone involved, um, addressing all the rest of the ladies that had to go through this because of me. And then at the end, it was natural for me to ask for forgiveness. Now I knew I was wrong and I needed forgiveness. And so I said, will you forgive me? You know what she said to me? She said, will you forgive me? So she too, because I took my responsibility, she was able to take hers. So now fast forward to the day we first begin and we gather to pray before we start and we're praying and she's thanking God that she has been fully restored. And our ministry was saved because of it. Had I allowed my selfishness to let push her out, there would have been division now amongst the people. But now I can come and tell this story and say, look at how God worked when we chose to follow him. It's not easy. It feels like it's easier to do the other way and just walk away. But that's not the truth. That's actually a lie. The truth is when I finally let that go, I wasn't trying to drag this, Lord, please show your favor on this ministry like I was at the prayer service before. Now I knew it was his. Do you see how the truth can set us free? And it's not to come against us, it's actually to help us. Someone gave me this book at the beginning of summer. It's called Imagine Heaven. And it is... Um, 
a book written by a guy whose father died in, on the bedstand next to his father's dying um, body, I'll say, uh, was a book about NDEs, near-death experiences. NDE, near-death experience. So people that had died for a certain amount of time and they come back to say like these wild stories of what had happened. And he started reading them, and he's like, you know what, they all sound very similar. So then he started doing a ton of research on it. And he wasn't even a believer. He became a believer from it. He's like, the only narrative that fits what all these people are saying is the biblical narrative of what the Bible says happens to us. And on top of all that, um, he says, I actually think that like these people, it's so magnificent that there's not even words to explain it, that people have like, like just kind of dismissed what the, these stories that these people are saying. But he's like, I actually think God wants us to hear these stories so that we know. So he said, I'm going to put it all together in a book. So there's this one story of this one guy, and he, had, he, he was young, like in his 20s, and he had passed. I don't remember what the deal was. Um, but he said all of a sudden there was this light, and then he realized this light was a man that had entered the room. As it got closer, it was this man that was a light. Um, and then he says this person was power itself, fused together with an unconditional love that overwhelmed him. And so now this is the man talking. He says, it was an astonishing love, a love beyond my wildest imagination. This love knew every unlovable thing about me, the quarrels my stepmother, uh, with my stepmother, my explosive temper, uh, sex thoughts I could never control, every mean and selfish thought and action since the day I was born. And I was accepted and loved just the same. Now, simultaneously with all this love was like this reel of his life just passing when he was in third grade at a chalkboard and all this stuff. So now the man of light speaks to him. I want you to hear what he says. He says, what have you done with your life to show me? So now here's the man's response that had the NDE. The question, like everything else proceeded from him, had to do with love. How much have I loved with, my, with your life? Uh, how much have you loved with your life? Have you loved others as I am loving you? Totally, unconditionally. Why had I not loved like this? Why had I not known love like this was possible? Someone should have told me, I thought indignantly. A fine time to discover what life is really about. Now here's the man of light's response. He says, I did tell you. And the man, now the man with the NDE responds, but how? Still wanting to justify myself? How could he have told me and I not heard? And here's the man of light's response. I told you by the life I lived. I told you by the death I died. And if you keep your eyes on me, you will see more. Has God not told us in his word, his number one command is to love him with all our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as ourselves? Has that not been what he says? Let's look at the next slide. So here's now from 2 John. Here's the scripture. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. He's told us. He continues to tell us. And he wants that us to know his love for us and that it can overflow now for others. He's writing this to a woman 
at the church who actually continues to show love to even the people that are deceptive. And he says, I commend, I commend you for doing this, for showing this love, but do not help those that are deceptive and then, that are teaching against what I say, what I teach. Then the last scripture I want us to look at, John, uh, third, uh, third John 1, 8, it says, uh, we therefore, uh, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that they may carry the work um, together for, so that we may carry the work together for the truth. Sorry about that. So now he's writing to a man in the book of Third John is just a little letter to one man named Gaius or something like that. And he's saying, you know what, Gaius? You're really good at showing hospitality to the people that are here. But when traveling missionaries that are bringing the truth come in, you won't show hospitality to them. If someone is bringing the truth, be hospitable. If someone is actually not bringing the truth, in love decline, but do not support that. Oh, time is up for me. So that and so here's the title of this was Don't Live Lies. And I'm just going to summarize it by this. There are lies that the world is telling us, but there are lies that are kind of deep inside our heart that we don't even recognize. And God is saying, let me show you. Let me show you because I love you. Because you know what? The truth will set you free. Let me pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness, for your holiness. I thank you that you love each woman here, that you call her by name, uh, that you know every hair on our head, Lord. I thank you that you sent your son and that he spilt his blood and that by his blood being spilt, uh, you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. I thank you that we can enter your throne of grace with confidence. I pray as we go forward, Lord, that our hearts would be soft toward you, that we would hear your still small voice, that we would not be defensive, but that we would allow you to set us free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.